1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 43 for May 9th, 2011.
0: Yeah, so we're going to do our second of the Peter Pan quote-unquote post-motion picture era books called Robot Masters. Right. And we're going to follow that up with Gold Key number 10 and Gold Key number 11. And it's
1: all Greatness. It is. It is. That's, you know, that's the one thing I do like about descending into the pit of literary morass, whatever, that, with these kind of issues, is that it just reminds you how good some of those DC and Marvel issues are. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to uh,
0: just give a few words, synopsis of each three to give you a little taste of what, what you have to come. <laughs> Neon green Romulans. Yes. Uh, robots.
1: Killer John- Robots.
0: Yeah, giant genies that hold the Enterprise. And Pandora's Box. So,
1: well, the stick Pandora's, with this box and... sounds, Pandora's Box sounds least innocuous. The first two, though, I mean, you got to be riveted at your seats at this point.
0: Oh, well, I kind of like the Pandora one. It, okay. <laughs> so. All right, so uh, before we jump into it, let's just throw out there again that we're wanting some Viewer's Choice episodes coming up pretty quick. We're going to be doing four episodes to celebrate our one-year anniversary of being on iTunes. So uh, send us some suggestions if you have an, uh, an idea for a, a episode, or even let us know if you might want to partake in recording that episode. So just email us your ideas, and if you're at all interested in co-hosting to star t comic book
1: review at gmail.com excellent opportunity to take part in this uh this fun frolic and intellectual yeah. exercise
0: I, i'm looking forward to someone just saying hey you know what i loved these these three issues or i love this graphic novel right. uh would you mind doing it you know i, I don't know i'm just kind of curious to see what other people want to hear from us right because we're getting enough emails that we actually know that people are actually listening to this and there are then they are actually communicating back with us, which is which is wish.
1: That is incredibly awesome. yeah that's great to know that. Uh, speaking into the uh, the void, not knowing if anybody was hearing was uh, <laughs> was not great. So great thanks everybody for uh, listening and it's great to be hearing from you. Yeah, so just let us know what you want to hear us do, and we'll do it for you. Uh, Pretty much the whole
0: month of October we have uh, slated for Viewer's Choice episodes. Excellent.
1: Okay. So that being said, you want to jump into our Robot Masters issue? I will. So this is uh, Peter Pan. It's kind of cut off. It's issue 40-something, but the title is definitely uh, the Robot Masters. There are no credits given to the, to the creative team, so unfortunately I can't tell you anything about that. So let's just launch into the uh, synopsis. The cover shows a cartoon robot with its arms raised with menace right behind a real photograph of William Shatner as Kirk from Star Trek uh, The Motion Picture. Kirk is apparently in danger of attack from behind by the robot. The inside title page presents the issue title in red block lettering, below is an inaccurate drawing of the Enterprise that is firing a phaser blast directly down from the center of the saucer section into a second ship that is roughly the shape of a parking cone, only it's black in color rather than orange. Beneath all of that is a robot next to a green-skinned alien with a bullet-shaped helmet on. To the left of that is Captain Kirk, who is recording a log entry telling how the Romulans and Klingons have not caused any trouble lately and the galaxy seems to be going great right now. On the bridge, Scotty is telling Kirk of his concerns about robots not arriving that he ordered a month ago. Not only that, but robots have been disappearing from all over this system for the past year. Kirk is interrupted when he receives a Priority 1 call from Starbase 10. Commodore Decker tells Kirk they are having robot problems. The robots that have gone missing over the past year in the Vega system are being trained to be soldiers in a Romulan army. Spock has already arranged for a ship loaded with robots to be piloted along the edge of the Vega system, where the cybernetic criminals will likely attempt to hijack it. Almost immediately, the Romulan pirate ship takes the bait. The Enterprise swoops in and disables the pirate ship. Mr. Tonka's raiding party captures the crew, which is made up of five Romulan pirates. There, I'll say it. It said it in the book. Scotty's attempts to interrogate the prisoners result in nothing. However, when Scotty scans the pirate ship's computers, he found their destination programmed into the navigational computer. Their secret stronghold is just outside, quote, the known galaxy. Kirk orders the prisoners stripped of their clothing so that he and the rest of a daring covert team can pilot the pirate ship and take the stolen robots to the Romulan stronghold in this way they will be able to find the ringleaders and smash this threat to the Federation the pirate ship departs with Kirk Scotty Chekhov and Tonka these are the people that are listed in the book on board in the Romulan uniforms that oddly enough look just like their Federation uniforms the Enterprise follows them at a discreet distance On the pirate ship, Kirk tells Scotty to train the robots that were previously trained to be soldiers not to fight. So, train them not to fight. They pick out the robot, quote, leader, and Scotty starts with him. They arrive at the secret Romulan base on an isolated moon on the edge of the Federation galaxy. As they approach the moon base, The Romulans hail the ship. Tonka replies generically, saying they are coming in for a landing. The Romulan flight controller states their cargo of robots will be just enough for them to have enough robots to attack and destroy Starbase 10. Then, on to the rest of the Federation. Kirk and Company, followed by their robot cargo, are walking up to the moon base, where they are met by Dragmar, the leader of the Romulan robot army. Kirk introduces himself and Scotty as his first mate. Scotty introduces the excited Dragmar to the lead robot Scotty calls Mastero. Dragmar orders Mastero to make the other robots ready to attack. Dragmar runs off to prepare the other Romulans and robots. After he's gone, Kirk tries to confirm with Scott that he has reprogrammed the robots to be pacifists and whether his programming is complete. Scotty cannot confirm but only says he thinks he was successful. Pragmar returns with laser rifle toting Romulans and robots. Pragmar addresses the combined forces stating how the Romulan Empire's expansionist attempts have been thwarted time and time by the Federation. And that it will be tolerated no longer. Their attack on Starbase 10 is the start of a total invasion of the Federation. Pragmar turns the festivities over to Mastero as the new leader of the combined robot forces. Unfortunately, Mastero looks as evil and aggressive as the rest of the robots. And when he speaks, he speaks of crushing the Federation and riles the rest of the robots up into a violent frenzy. Pragmar turns on Kirk and exposes that he knows exactly who Kirk and the rest of the team are. Pragmar tells them he will use the robots they delivered to be their executioners. Pragmar orders Mastero to kill the Federation spies, but rather than attacking Kirk and company, Mastero attacks the Romulans and calls Scotty, Friend Scotty. Scotty orders the robots not to kill the Romulans, just capture them. Later on on the Enterprise Bridge, Spock and Kirk discuss Scotty's reprogramming handiwork. Kirk observes Scotty did not have the time to remove the war program completely, but he was successful in programming them to not harm members of the Federation. Spock comments on what noble, wonderful machines the robots are, and how logical and unemotional they are. Kirk is happy he feels so positively about the robot since he has brought Mastero onto the bridge to meet Mr. Spock. Mastero says hello and goes on to say he has heard so much about Spock. The end. Wow. Now, you,
0: you really need to listen to the, the audio of, of this story there on YouTube. Uh, Good. I assume
1: especially at the end because I did not get that ending at all.
0: Well, it, it's just – yeah, I don't get it either, but it's just funny to hear the, uh, the narrator's voice doing
1: the robot. It, it's right. pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate to talk about the end, but I want to jump to the end. Sure. So I don't get the end of that. I mean, I assume the end was supposed to be comic or something, supposed to be like the light, airy kind of ending, I guess. I mean, it appears to be comic relief, but I don't get it exactly. I mean – is Mysterio supposed to be gay? Is he a, a female <laughs> robot? Has Kirk just set Spock up on some kind of blind date? I don't get it. I think they're basically just saying that you know because Spock is so
0: cold and emotionless that he would enjoy a you know a, a robot. Yeah, a robot, a friend that that's also equally as cold and emotionless as he is. <laughs> Although, throughout this book. The robot seemed very emotional when they're screaming out, must kill, must yeah. kill. Oh, but, yeah. Uh,
1: these things, are, these robots are emotional.
0: But, very odd. you know, it, it is kind of odd how uh, Mastro has his arms on his hips there at the end. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and part All of it. his, and part of his robot, uh, I, I don't know, part of his robot thing almost looks like a, like, almost looks like, like kind of like a, a skirt. A spirit, yeah. It's kinda of weird. And the way he's standing there, a little effeminate. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's a female robot. You don't know. I that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. No, I uh I didn't get
0: that when I read it or listened to it the first time. Um I thought it was just uh he, he wanted a friend or he was given a friend that is as emotionless as he is. That's right, and all he has to do is keep him charged up. Yep. Just plug them in overnight. So never in your synopsis did you really describe what these uh, Romulans look like. <laughs> Everybody listening to your synopsis is like, okay,
1: yeah, looks just like Vulcans. Gotcha. No, no. these do not look like Vulcans. No, they are green. And the, and not only is their skin green, but their hair is green. Yeah, no, these guys are walking crayons. <laughs> Exactly. And they even have the pointed hats to, you know, uh, they, they got, further yeah. the crayon look. Right. Oh, good point. That's a very good point. Yeah, they're, they're wearing these, at least Maestro definitely is. Or not Maestro, um, the lead Romulan, whose name is Pragmar. He's yeah. got this stupid-looking bullet helmet on. Um, and what's funny is
0: it's not even a helmet because it doesn't cover the back of his head. Oh, like, it doesn't? Because it's just like, if you look on page, uh, of the actual book, it's page 16, but on the PDF, it's page 18. Uh, It shows the back of his head, and it's just, it's just, the helmet part is only on the Oh, you're right. And it's strapped on in the back. What's the point
1: of that? I thought it was supposed to be uh, protective. No. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know what it's supposed to be.
0: Mm.
1: Anyway, and what's the, the M on there, anyway? Yeah, why does it have an M? I don't know. But on the very front of the Pope hat, I don't know. There's a big M, a red M. Don't know what that's supposed to be. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's part of the, the backstory.
0: character for Pragmar. Oh, could be. Could and be. we're just thinking that it looks like an M, kind of the way the Superman crest. We see an S, but if you were a Kryptonian, you would see that's the family crest for L.
1: So There you go. Yep. See, there we're just go. reading to it. Are we just reading too much into it? Because I'm sure that the writers of this and the artists took all this into account, and there is just <laughs> layer upon layer of exposition going on here. Exactly. And by the way, on page five, Chekhov, he looks like Mark Cuban.
0: Uh, let's see. Mark Cuban then or Mark Cuban now? Uh,
1: what's then? No, Mark, Mark Cuban now. <laughs> Yeah, I see it. He does kind of look like Mark Cuban. I just thought I'd mention that. But Mark Cuban would be a wee little baby when this came out. Yeah, but I'm just saying. I'm uh, just saying. I hear He yeah. looks like Mark Cuban. Look at him. And he look He he looks – I don't know. He he doesn't look good. Sorry, Mark. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, Mark does not look like Chekhov. Not normally, but he does in this. <laughs> In in this in these two panels, yeah.
0: Since since you jump back to
1: the beginning,
0: um, I was glad to see Ahura in it, and I was glad to see that she's black again.
1: Yes, that is good. But did yeah. she say anything? I mean, she's just sitting there at the at the com panel. Did they? Uh, no,
0: she has she has a line. Oh, she does. Okay. Yeah, she says, "Captain Commodore Decker calling from Starbase Ten on frequency two twelve frequency." well, whoops, I misquoted it, but you got you it. You get the that's idea. Right. But yeah, so like when that's we right. reviewed yeah. the other Peter Pan comic way back in episode 10, she was miscolored as a blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman. Perfect. But that, that's, that's a perfectly logical mistake to make. So, I was
1: glad to see she was back to her normal hues. Exactly. Speaking of mistakes, on page 10...
0: Mm-hmm.
1: where they refer to the enemy as Klingons in one uh, dialogue. So in the same panel, there's one dialogue bubble, whatever they call those things, where they refer to them as Klingons. And then in the next bubble that's a, that another character is saying, they refer to them as Romulans. Was like, come
0: on, guys. Oh, see, I got it that they were were kind of surprised that the Romulans was doing something so aggressive. That they were saying, you know, normally only the Klingons would be so aggressive. And then the other guy was saying, curse those Romulans. But I see what you're saying. It could be.
1: Well, yeah, the actual line is, only the Klingons would have the gall to make a robot attack army right under our very noses. Yeah, no, you're right. Yes, Mister Chekhov. Curse those Romulans! <laughs> You're right.
0: I, I I just took it the other way. That they yeah, were surprised and, and you, that the you... Romulans were so aggressive. Right. I, I could see where you could you could take it that way. So back up to where Uhura says Commodore Decker was calling. Right. Who's Commodore Decker? Because we already know uh, of Captain Matt Decker, but he died yeah. in the Doomsday Machine. And exactly. we know of the future Didi. Captain Decker who's going to die on Viger. Right. So it's Commodore Steve Decker.
1: Maybe it's uh, Matt Decker's father.
0: Brother? I was thinking Matt Decker's brother, yeah. Yeah. But Uh-oh. I just thought it was funny. Why pick a name that's already been used two other times by the time
1: this book came out? In the Star Trek universe, there are certain names that pop up, you know, more frequently than others. Like, um, I think in the original series, there was reference to a Riker, a crewman Riker. Is there? Uh, Yes. Uh, And then... uh, But there are some other names that pop up frequently. I don't know why. Noonian pops up for some reason a lot. Noonian. Yes, you're right about that. But at least for Decker...
0: I mean, Matt Decker and uh, William Decker, they were related. This Steve Decker is just a wild card thrown in there.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, do, you think, do you think that was – I mean, do you think they were actually planning anything there? I mean, I don't know. I
0: don't know if they knew that there was going to
1: be a character named Decker and just wanted to incorporate the there. name into the story somewhere. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I was kind of wondering why Scotty would be in charge of interrogating prisoners.
0: Oh, yeah, good point. It's Should like, have been – maybe check off at this point or
1: yeah, somebody in the security area, not, not an engineer. Of course it was good that he ended up checking their computers. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. And that Frank Tanka guy. I mean, he's really taken with his ability to lead a uh, boarding party. (laughs) He, uh, he uses both his first and last name when he refers to himself in the third person. (laughs) Yeah. He's pretty proud of himself. Yeah, so uh, for you that those of you that that don't necessarily have the book, I mean, he's saying to 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 Kirk and company on the bridge, uh, you know, (laughs) when Frank Tanka leads a boarding party, he does a great job. So yeah, so I guess he led the boarding party, grabbed the five pirates who they referred to as Klingons or not Klingons. Now I'm doing it Romulans, I thought, but then later when Kirk and company show up, obvious humans, not Romulans. Oh, I guess they must have meant they were in the—they were pirates and they were in the employ of the Romulans, but they weren't necessarily Romulans themselves. Where do you um, see that they actually have show the pirates at all? They never show them, but they refer oh, okay. to them as Romulan pirates. Right. Yeah. Right. So, what were you talking about when they go down there and see that they're humans? I just towards the that... end, towards the end of the book, when they're on the moon. Yeah. And uh, Kirk and company. are supposed to be dressed up as pirates
0: yeah yeah so the you're you're saying that the romulans weren't surprised that humans were the pirates okay i got you now
1: exactly so i i was expecting them from the beginning of the book i thought they were romulan pirates so it's like when they just walk around saying hey everybody i got a different colored shirt on but i'm human but that's okay Uh, (laughs) i was a little surprised i was a little surprised
0: I got you. I always got the feeling that it was just pirates employed by the humans. I mean, Ooh,
1: Romulans. Romulans, right? And that that makes more sense. But you know, I I just was mistaking apparently what they were saying at the beginning because they wouldn't actually make any mistakes. <laughs> no, no, never. So what what do you think about that pirate ship design? Well, like I say, when I first saw it, it was looking a little bit like a traffic cone, you know? Yeah. Plastic things. But then uh, past the first title page, they had some better pictures of it.
0: It, look, I, I, it looked like the top of like a skyscraper. Like They just took right. the first several floors and with the pointy end and was like, yep, that's the ship. Yep, it's like a flying dart. Yeah, I, I really didn't like it. With a big blocky end. Looks like we... a trophy or something <laughs> that's flying around. Exactly!
1: Trophy, yes. So yeah, it's completely. So it's it's a darty looking thing, uh, Empire State Building kind of sort of, and then they've got a a, a a big square block of wood at the at the back of it where the engines are. <laughs> Not very aerodynamic. No, but you're in space, so you don't need to buy aerodynamic. Yeah,
0: but it it flies in atmosphere, so I mean it's all aerodynamic until you get to that big block at the end, and then it <laughs> just like kills you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Eh. Anyways, kids book, kids book. Exactly. Uh, right, 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 right. And of course, you got to comment the Federation galaxy that it said on page ten. Right. It's like the Fe- so they mean the galaxy that the Federation is in. You know, obviously, just like uh, some of the Gold Key ep- uh, issues, lots of galaxy hopping going on, which just d- is not con- contiguous with the continuity of the uh, of the real series. Right. Yeah, I thought it was funny because he mentions
0: that the Klingon in the beginning. He talks about how the Klingons are far away, and then he says the Romulans are from a, a nearby or
1: from just outside the known galaxy. the known galaxy. So oh, you can't see me, but my fingers, my two index, my two fingers are going up in the air.
0: Okay. So yeah, I was wondering. I was like. Are they trying to imply that that means that they're closer than the Klingons or farther away than the Klingons? Because it sounds farther away when it's in another galaxy.
1: Exactly. Another thing is, uh, when I first read that, where they said the Klingons live outside the known galaxy, I was first thinking, well, you know, maybe they're just trying to say the known portion of the galaxy that the Federation operates in. Okay, maybe that's what they're saying. But then they're saying known galaxy. It's like, well, you know what? I mean, we know a lot about the galaxy, even in our time period with all the uh, observations we can do with telescopes and stuff. So it's like, well, we've known a lot more than just Federation space. One portion, one small portion of the Alpha Quadrant. Um, we know that now. So I'm back to saying it's it's lame terminology. Agreed. All anyway. right. But again, kids book. Kids book. KB. <laughs> What else get? Uh, uh, let's see. That's really you know. Even even when at the end, when they're introducing themselves to to the Romulan leader, uh, Pragmar, Kirk introduces himself as Jim Kirk. Right, one word. It you know, all ran together. J I M K A R K. Jim Kirk. And it's like, boy, you are really pushing it, ain't you, Kirk? And of course, in the end, we find out that Pragmar says all Romulan commanders memorize Kirk's face. And, uh, so.
0: Yeah, that was... Probably should have come up with a better pirate name there, Kirk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and Pragmar, you should probably, if you know that he's a spy, you probably shouldn't ch- choose his robot to lead your army. I'm just saying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The one, that, the one that they could have actually influenced.
0: Yeah, yeah. You should have used one of your current leaders as the robot leader. You don't don't pick the one that just came from your mortal
1: enemy. I'm just saying.
0: For next time, Pregmar.
1: And that's another thing. Since when do robots need leaders, per se? I mean, they're robots. You program them. One, I would think, typically isn't all that different from the others. I mean, a leader? I mean, that's more like a human thing. I don't know. Well, I mean... You've got to have a controller, and then you have your mm. minions. Yeah. And another thing. The Star Trek universe does not make heavy use of robots. Nope. This uh, is the, one of the only times I've ever seen it. Exactly. I mean, other than, other than data, which is an exception, they, they, they shy away from the idea of using robots. You know, except for drone probes, whatever. But human, humanoid-shaped robots, they don't tend to do that. So and and uh, in this issue, robots are a common everyday thing. I mean, uh, Scotty's ordering a couple. Yeah, look, and you know. we didn't mention the robots, but they look very sixty-ish
0: sci-fi show version of robots. Looks like it's just sixties
1: or fifties. They're just they're, they're not very sophisticated looking. Yeah,
0: a very bulky tin man looking outfit with a big right. barrel chest, and uh, it looks a lot like the Tin Man actually. But with a domed head. Right. Yeah, not a very good robot design. And coincidentally, all the robots look the same. Yeah. And again,
1: kid's book. So, okay. There you go. KB. Gotcha. Okay, that's all I have to say about this one. Alright, so then, our first Gold Key issue. Okay, so we're going to do Gold Key's Star Trek issue number 10 next. It's called uh, Scepter of the Sun. Published date, May 1971. And, of course, we don't know who the creative team is, but it might be somewhere in Malaysia. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. We don't know. We just don't know, damn it. Okay. The cover shows some white guy dressed up like a Far Eastern Alibaba type. We find out later he's a huge genie, and he is holding the Enterprise, of course, by her port nacelle. you think it would be hard to hang on since even the engineering section is amazingly providing smoky thrust. But we find out soon, he is holding it quite in place. The inside of the page shows two huge stone guys with clubs bearing down on a landing party. All four landing party members have their phasers drawn, but McCoy says the phasers have no effect. The title is Scepter of the Sun. The story opens up on the bridge, where the crew is flying the ship to a destination that really doesn't matter. Sulu says a form is taking shape ahead of the ship, and then suddenly the ship is abruptly brought to a halt. Thank goodness for inertial dampeners. Turns out this huge genie is holding onto the ship, and brought them to a complete standstill. As the bridge crew is trying to figure out what this genie guy is all about, Mist comes up from the deck. Kirk, Spock... McCoy and apparently a blonde and burly Scotty are swept off the bridge but not before they just happen to strap on their landing party belts complete with phasers and communicators that they apparently have just lying around. They find themselves in front of a bald guy that looks like Ming the Merciless who says his name is Chang. He says he stopped the Enterprise and brought them before him using sorcery not mere science. Physical attacks do not seem to work against Chang's magic. And he says he will destroy the Enterprise if the foursome do not retrieve a magical talisman called the Scepter of the Sun. Chang wants to use it against his enemy that has held him prisoner on the planet they are all on. Kirk becomes a believer in Chang's power and agrees to go on the quest to retrieve the Scepter. Chang sends a hot brunette, a Barbara Eden type. ...named Marla, with them to be their guide and to spice up the scenery. They encounter the two huge stone club-wielders... ...and defeat them in a typically unlikely way. When they make camp for the night, they are attacked by a tribe of Hun-like swordsmen... ...and spear-wielding bearded guys. They end up fighting them hand-to-hand. Good thing Kirk and company brought their phasers. They are defeated due to superior numbers... And come to find out the attackers are led by a guy named Brand. And he's really a pretty nice guy. Brand tells Kirk that Chang and at least some of his fur-clad warriors were all part of an expedition from Earth that left during the eugenics wars where they were part of a peace movement that gave up hope. Like most disillusioned peace movement groups, they built a spaceship and took, that took them out into the black and uh, in suspended animation when the ship autonomously landed on a planet they are currently on chang did not want to just play colonist so he struck out for adventure into the mountains in several months he returned to them a changed man he was now hungry for power and merciless kind of like ming what more he had new magical powers that helped him to take over and become ultimate ruler of that planet. Brand wants Kirk to give him the scepter so he can overthrow Chang. Kirk's first priority is to protect the Enterprise but he agrees to help Brand if he can. They all go on to get the scepter but find it guarded by a ridiculous giant robot. Kirk tries to use the scepter on the robot but finds it has no effect. All looks lost but Spock Jumps on its back and starts pulling out wires from behind a handily open access panel. The robot is vanquished and they head back to Chang. They enter Chang's throne room and find that he and his guards are there to greet them. Chang says he is using his tractor beam, not magic, to bring the Enterprise down to the planet's surface. He will take the ship and use his powers of illusion to take over the galaxy. <laughs> Spock advances on Chang and walks right through a huge gorilla-like creature that was manifested to stop Spock. Spock says Chang's magic is just illusion so he can walk through the creature easily. Spock states the whole quest for the scepter was a ruse to keep them all busy while Chang uses his powers of illusion to take over the Enterprise. Chang confirms Spock's deduction and tells his guards to attack. A big battle starts up while Chang tries to make his escape. Kirk spots him and gives chase. Kirk corners Chang on the roof where rain is falling. Chang uses a large scimitar to disarm Kirk, and then winds up for a death blow, when at that moment, a suspiciously handy bolt of lightning is attracted to the raised scimitar and kills Chang real good. Chang's tractor beam is still pulling down the Enterprise, but they don't know how to turn it off. So Kirk tells Sulu to blast Chang's entire palace, which frees the Enterprise. And of course, they they get out of the palace, but before the explosion. The planet's inhabitants are free of their tyrannical dictator. The Enterprise departs. Spock muses about about Chang one day, having been able to construct a ship of his own and using it to conquer galaxies with his powers of illusion. Kirk says his power died with him and his secrets which is all for the best. The end. Yep,
0: so this one followed the, I think, a tad overused formula uh, that Gold Key seems to use a lot, which is Kirk and company start helping one group of people uh, against another one, and then come to find out that the one that they're against is not all that bad and that they've been playing for the wrong team all along. Well... Yeah, I mean this. This is but, a slightly different take because they were kind of doing the helping under
1: duress in the first place. Yeah, I mean they, they they didn't like Chang ever. I mean they weren't they were they weren't helping him out of the goodness of, the, of their heart or that he was such a swell guy.
0: Right, but they were told unflattering things about Xanadu's guys,
1: and they seemed to be so, okay. So the so they were Xanadu's guys. I didn't get that. Well, that was Xanadu, wasn't it? Well, no, it wasn't. His name wasn't Xanadu. It oh, was uh, Zan- And by the way, oh. I do love that Xanadu. Oh no, <laughs> his name band. was Bendy or B- Bendy or something. Uh, I'm looking through my notes again. Yeah, it was. It was like Band or you know something yeah. very simple. No, you're right. Brand, so it's Brand. Did Xanadu never exist? Nah, it never existed. He was a lion. Oh, so he was a lion was... sack of poop. Ah,
0: uh, okay. So See, I, he... I kept thinking that the Bendy guy was uh, Xanadu. The Gumby guy. No.
1: No, so Brand, you know, that's his name, just Brand. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean the the guy the guy was totally manipulating. Okay. So. All right. From the beginning, he wanted he wanted Kirk to think he was so powerful he even had the power to get off that planet with no problem if he just could overcome the people that are entrapping him. But no.
0: With a giant sword, the flaming sword.
1: Exactly. And quite frankly, if he had a tractor beam beam that could pull the Enterprise down, I mean, why did it even bother whisking the bridge crew off? Well, because
0: because ever the rest of the crew was so incompetent that they would not, <laughs> uh, without Kirk and Spock's leadership, they would sit exactly. on
1: their hands
0: and and give up.
1: Exactly, exactly. But as we all know, well, actually, they, they did take all the senior people off, but whatever. Uh, Sulu could have done something. Okay, so off. I mean, uh, sure. They're, they're not in her, etc. You know, it's a woman too. You know, she's 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 pretty she's pretty up there. Yeah.
0: Anyway, so, so yeah.
1: and again, <laughs> so I wrote uh, again. Gold Key is outdone themselves with yet another confusing, badly written, implausible comic.
0: It, it had a little. I, I'm with you uh, up until they start talking about the uh, brands guys being from Earth. Uh, 1997, eugenics yeah, war, you know, outcasts and sure. I'm like, oh this is this is awesome, Some somebody actually is tying this into something that exists in real I'll Star Trek put, put, and then like I'll the put, next page is like
1: you know, When you started talking about reusing
0: You okay? Yeah, could you hear me okay? Because I actually just now found out my mic was up on my head.
1: Well your volume was coming in and out and you did sound rather odd, but anyway yeah, so when you first talked about the idea of there being a, a, a well-worn, well-used thing, I thought you were talking about the, eugen- the, the people leaving post-eugenics wars because that's the same. They use that multiple times. So the, the, this the, the is the theme, first time Gold in the did it. Uh, that could be, but there are multiple comics that have used that idea. So people left on or around the time of the eugenics wars— uh, on some kind of a sleeper ship, so redoing the uh, con thing, and then uh you know the enterprise finally with warp drive catches up to them uh, people that left hundreds of years ago and they have problems with them so right. that's the part I thought you were gonna talk about being something that's been used over and over again.
0: Now I actually like the eugenics war part I, yeah. I thought I thought that actually gave the story a little bit more credibility, but then they just Pooped on it and uh, it kind of unraveled into a big mess. Especially when he just randomly gets shocked by lightning. Ah!
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that, that that probably got totally distorted when I when I blurted it out like that. Yeah, yeah. I
0: mean, I, I mean, you know, there's some things that writers put in to you know we just have to explain it some way or they have to get out of it some way. But to me, this one seems to be like the most random. Way of ending the main villain. Just lightning out of nowhere kills him.
1: <laughs> Wrath of God.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, I wish they would have s- at least tried to explain it that, you know, maybe the tractor beam that was right there was causing ionization in the atmosphere and that caused <laughs> a freak lightning bolt. But they didn't even try to explain it. Just like, no, eh, just lightning, happened. he's dead.
1: Exactly. He's fried. So the big bad's gone. We've already filled up our quota of pages. Now let's, let's wrap up. <laughs> let's move to wrap up.
0: Yeah, so speaking of wrap up, uh, I, I only have like a couple more things. The uh, the genie on the cover and at the beginning of the story holding the um, Enterprise, obviously uh, I think a throwback to Adonis holding the Enterprise with his big green hand in mm-hmm. uh, Who Mourns for Adonis, mm-hmm. uh, which I liked. I mean, if you can if you can buy it in star trek the the actual show there's no reason why you couldn't buy it here uh
1: buy it in the original show
0: <laughs> well you have to because it's there <laughs> but uh the, the part that i didn't like about you know everything being an illusion is why would you create illusions that had weaknesses i mean why make your rock monsters so that they're so stupid that they'll end up hitting each other and destroying <laughs> themselves <laughs> Why would you make your robot with a panel that you know Spot can easily pry open and start fiddling with and destroy your whole robot? I just didn't understand that. I mean, if he really wanted to get them out of the way, why did he not make his illusions a little more threatening and just kill them?
1: Good question. Why, why didn't he just set sick his palace guards on them right away? I mean, they, they went ahead. Scotty tried to attack him. And through the power of illusion or something, he was able to stop Scotty. And turn him around. I mean, while while he's frozen like that, just have your palace guards behead him. I mean, what's the what's the big deal?
0: Yeah, and and the other thing about illusion is that you know I can buy that you can trick people or you know Vulcans, humans, whatever they are, into thinking they're seeing something that's not really there. But you can't trick the Enterprise into thinking that it's been grabbed by a giant hand and being held in place like that. I mean, well, the sensors and stuff would. Well, no,
1: but he had a tractor beam. I mean, he was using a real tractor beam. Okay,
0: so the tractor beam is what stopped the Enterprise, too. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay. I thought that he didn't crank the tractor beam on until Kirk and Spock went on their little quest.
1: No, no, that, that's what stopped them in the first place. So, uh, so there was bye-bye. some real technology that did something. And of course, uh, you know, the, the, the obvious question that comes in: Well, where did he get all this tech? They didn't have tractor beam. They didn't bring the tractor beam on the ship obviously. I mean, back 1997 or whatever, they didn't have tractor beams. Uh, and how did he get his powers of illusion anyway? So somehow he goes out in the desert, he picks up his powers of illusion, uh, and he comes back, and while he was out there, he picked up a tractor beam. It's like, what?
0: Right. And, I mean, they, 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 there wasn't a indigenous population there. Yeah, but uh, they were primitives. The but they were primitives, right. So, yeah. I mean, I can understand that he can enslave them with his powers of illusion or whatever, but and then they even just say, you know, I guess we'll never know how he got his powers. Exactly.
1: <laughs> so he, he, he must have come upon something there, an ancient dead race or something. But anyway. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and the last thing I just want to say is the magical changing colored shirts. So, uh, why does McCoy have a gold Command colored shirt on at the beginning? Blue, please. Say, who is that fourth guy? That was swept off the bridge with the other three that I never saw before. Oh, it's a blonde-haired, burly Mr. Scott. (laughs) And his uniform is gold, too. Red, please. And then uh, later, a few pages later, oh, I should have waited, McCoy's shirt magically turns blue just before the human-shaped rock giants come after them. Uh, Scotty's, too, is blue, which again is not right. And then uh, now Kirk's is blue. Wait. (laughs) There you go. All the shirts have changed back to... uh, uh, back to gold again when the attack starts. I mean, Kirk and Spock. Oh no, actually, Spock's the only guy that I think they had his uh shirt the right color, blue, the entire time.
0: Yeah, and I'm looking at the panel that you say that their their shirts turned back to blue. I don't. I think they're supposed to be yellow, but they're they're in shadow or something. Oh
1: God, come on. Yeah,
0: because if you look no. at. Spock's blue shirt, and compared to McCoy's blue shirt, uh-huh. I mean, McCoy's shirt actually looks like a little green. So I was I was thinking that that's supposed to be his gold shirt, but in in shadow or whatever.
1: Wow, you give these comics so much credit, I can't believe it. <laughs>
0: but it's still the wrong color. I'm I'm, oh, not, uh, I'm not.
1: Yeah, and it's
0: yeah uh, whatever.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Uh huh. But but yeah, I mean, Scotty yeah, what... being depicted as a, a surfer dude is exactly. not new. He's been doing that for the last. A few issues. now yeah. I didn't say it was new. Uh, we talked about it offline. The the girl in here that's just mm-hmm. there to, for exposition. What little exposition, exposition. she actually gives. <laughs>
1: uh, and eye candy.
0: Yeah, she she. There's one panel where she's kind of walking, and I swear that her little skirt thing is a tad too low. <laughs>
1: it it well, just it's it's, a it's, it's very, certainly it's certainly lower than Barbara Eden ever had on I Dream of Jeannie I must say that. Yeah, I'm like cuz that uh, it's
0: it's the only panel where it actually shows her belly button. Uh-huh. All the rest of them her belly button's kind of missing. And <laughs> in that one her belly button's there and then her pants are really low. Yeah. And I'm like that just looks weird.
1: Oh, well, that that wasn't the word I was thinking of, but yes. Yes. Yes, we'll go with weird. Okay. Get out of it. I feel all funny in the pants. Uh.
0: That's just weird, Ken. It,
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> Think of okay, baseball and that, it'll go away. That will be the code word. That's just weird. <laughs> okay. That'll right. be the euphemism.
0: Okay. Well, let's move on then. Star Trek number eleven, released by Gold Key, uh, August nineteen seventy one, entitled The Brain Shockers. Ooh. This was a good one, right, Ken? Riveting. So, just, if you don't mind asking, were were you still a fan of Star Trek in 1971? Of course I was. Okay, because, I mean,
1: you... Ever since I was a kid.
0: You were there, so, I mean, it had been four years since you saw a Star Trek, a new Star Trek episode.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but, I mean, Star Trek was still prevalent in your life at this moment?
1: Oh. Let's see. Um, Not trying to date you anything.
0: I'm just curious. to Well, I because mean, I know you didn't watch the cartoon.
1: No, I didn't watch the cartoon. Well, I think I might have seen it uh, an episode or two, but no, I didn't go out of my way to watch the cartoon. Be sh- no. Yeah. So I mean, it, it wasn't something I was thinking about all the time. There wasn't new stuff going on, but sure, man, you know, I I tuned into reruns. Right. That's cool. And whatnot.
0: That's cool, and uh you you I know you had a couple of these gold key, but I know that you didn't have many No. and unfortunately, you didn't keep them because that would be a pretty sweet little stash of uh gold, but key. I'm sure you you kept kept track of your stuff like I did when I was that age, and it ended up getting shredded in the bottom of toy box at one
1: point. uh yeah, I have no idea where things ended up hmm.
0: all right. Back to the book. So, let's go. Uh, credits unknown, like like all the gold key. They did not. Uh, they did not give us any credits. So the cover shows uh, a cool painting of a woman, a yeoman, I'm assuming, uh, fleeing a door as Spock and Kirk are trying to keep it closed. Uh, all the while, these ghostly figures are pouring out of it. This is maybe the second book to have a painted cover, which I really like better than the, the old stock photo covers that the, the, these gold key issues had before this. Alright, so the splash page is very similar to the cover, uh, except this time the yeoman is opening the door, and Spock and Kirk are warning her not to. So, kind of a, a reversal there between the splash page and the cover. Alright, so the Enterprise is in orbit of Pollux 2 and is investigating the disappearance of several ships. Kirk sends young Yeoman Dory Trask to level 7 to pick up some Plastows, which we'll talk about later because that's a curious uh, item for her to go get. Anyways, once she leaves, the Enterprise is hit by a beam from the planet, and the ship is shaken up pretty good. Dazed, Trask is on level 7. Uh, And she's dazed because the ship just got jostled around. And she thinks she hears something break in a supply closet that's labeled Do Not Enter. And being stupid, she goes ahead and opens the door to see what might have broken. And then all type of crazy ghostly demons start pouring out of it. These invisible ghosts... Which I don't know for sure if she saw what was coming out or not, but later on they say they are invisible. So these invisible ghosts are entering the crew's bodies all around the Enterprise and especially on the bridge. While Kirk and Spock go to check out on the missing, now they're referring to her as Pandora Trask. They find her on level seven, and we find out that we find out why that room was off limits. Uh, It actually held the artificially captured emotions of some ancient Vulcans. The Enterprise was keeping these in glass jars so that they could drop them off at a shrine on Beta 4. Yes, glass jars, Vulcan emotions, and they're taking them to a shrine. Good stuff. All right, so ignoring the wandering emotional spirits that uh, are floating around the Enterprise, the crew decide to beam down to the planet to look for what might have attacked them. Once there, they start acting odd. Spock is scared and runs away with McCoy jeering at the cowardly yellow Vulcan. And Kirk is punching pretty much anybody who looks at him. So Kirk is a little wild man on this one. Spock ends up finding a creature named Malak, who is an immortal being that has been safely encased in a plastoid bubble for the last 5,000 years. He purposely damaged the Enterprise to get them close to the planet so that he can watch and experience their emotions since he has been alone for so very, very long. He tries to get an emotional response out of Spock, but is unable to do so because Spock's able to fight the urge, and he runs back to Kirk. He then brings Kirk and the company back to Malak uh, in an attempt to reason with him. Malak starts his emotional control again, and Spock uses this as a diversion so that he can cut a hole in the plastoid bubble and hotwire the emotional device so that it ends up absorbing the Vulcan uh, emotion, the the Vulcan emotional spirits uh, that have been possessing the crew. The Enterprise is allowed to leave now that Malak has all the Vulcan emotions to keep him entertained for another 5,000 years.
1: The end. That makes perfect sense. Doesn't it though? I followed all of it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, was it a bad synopsis or was it just uh, a bad story?
1: The synopsis was just fine, Donovan. Okay, just making sure. It was just fine. Uh, Of course, naturally, in the synopsis, you can't get all the subtleties of the story, the subtle subtext the literary fabulousness of this issue. Actually, for a Gold Key, I think this is a a better than average Gold Key issue. But naturally we continue to have the hallmarks of all gold Gold Key comics. For instance, the Enterprise swooshing out to their next adventure with flames and exhaust coming out of the nacelles and the engineering section. So, You have some of the normal stuff that goes with gold key inaccuracies, but uh, I think it's better than than what they normally do.
0: I I liked it all except for emotions trapped inside glass bottles and her name (laughs) being Pandora Trask.
1: Well, but, but that's okay because it wasn't always Pandora Trask. The name changed, didn't it?
0: Yeah, one moment she's Dora or Dory Trask, and then Spock just starts referring to her as Pandora.
1: Well, okay. So, she was referred to three-ish times. Okay. Um, the first time, she was Dory Trask. And that was uh, her introducing herself. Then later, Spock referred to her as Pandora, Trask. And then in the same panel, the same panel, Kirk responds to what, uh, what Spock said, and he called her uh, Dory again. Mm, so Right. It, it, yeah, it... Just, it
0: yeah, and uh, I mean maybe, I mean maybe her name is Pandora, and Spock is being formal and not giving her a nickname.
1: Perhaps because it sounds like he was reading it from the ship's records or something. Right,
0: and you know, I'm sure if somebody went by Kin, Spock would be the one that called you Kenneth. Or oh, I'd know, hate that. Whatever, I'd hate that. Well, of course, but that's your given name, and Spock's by the book, so he'd be calling you by your given name. Anyways. Pandora. Yes. Having Pandora open a
1: box. Box. <laughs> a door in this case. Yeah. That was that, that was loaded with negative Vulcan emotions. Well, I guess negative and positive, because I guess there was some laughter going on too, but still. Right. And the
0: whole idea I I really liked the idea that maybe I mean it, it doesn't hold water because we've gotten more Vulcan backstory now. Uh, You know, 30 years later But, you know, at that time Nobody had ever explained The, you know, the history of Vulcan And how they ended up becoming Emotionalists Uh, So, I mean, this was somebody's crack at explaining it That, you know, at one point They tried to do it artificially I kind of liked that idea of it But that you could then try to bottle it up Into glass containers (laughs) Was the part that I had a problem with Yeah,
1: And then they backed off of doing it through technology, and they instead learned how to control them. So, again, that's more in alignment with the modern-day thought of how Vulcans are. Right. They have and, emotions, but they suppress them.
0: Exactly, and I, I like right. that. And I like the yep. idea that, you know, they tried to do it artificially. That didn't quite work out, so they ended up that they just had to tough it out and become stronger, uh, you know, kind of like you know trying to lose weight can take a pill magic pill to do it but uh, that usually doesn't work and you just have to you know do it the old hard the hard work way
1: exactly Exactly. so anyways
0: and were those supposed to be some sort of catras or because I know that catras can be kept in like stone I've never heard of emotions (laughs) being kept in glass jars
1: no and catras are supposed to be your quote soul right Right, not necessarily emotions I don't That's know. that's true. Uh, yeah I, 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 I'm, I'm reaching yeah. here. What were you going to oh. say? Oh, just I mean, <laughs> Vulcans are very flexible people, I guess. Some of the so many of the intangible bits of them seem to be movable. just amazing.
0: Mm. And uh, another little literary you know plot device that i thought was just there to be convenient is that the big bad guy for the episode is a creature who thrives on emotions and you just happen to have thousands of emotion spirits running around just well boy that's yeah. convenient
1: yeah well i i completely agree i mean i mean basically there were two protagonists here you got the vulcan emotions and then you've got the or yeah, protagonist. Well, anyway, and then also you've got Mylock, or whatever the heck his name was. And isn't it quite a coincidence? Yes, that you've got two t- two antagonists that are uh, that are coming at the same time, and they just so happen to dovetail quite nicely. That's very handy.
0: So, what do you think of the alien? Uh,
1: and, and, and they I'm dovetail sorry. in so many ways. Like, uh, sorry, I mean, I'll get off of this in a second. No, 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 no. I mean, if, if it wasn't for Malok, Malok's or Malok, whatever his name is, jostling the Enterprise, the Vulcan emotions wouldn't have been released in the first place. And then in the end, it ends up being the Vulcan emotions that end up uh, taking care of uh, Malak. So they were they they're very intertwined
0: i I didn't put those two together, but that's very very good point yeah okay. I'm done now, I was just gonna say what did you think of the artwork
1: uh especially uh, with the aliens There are times that the artwork is not very good i mean there are there are some times where Spock's ears oh my god the the tips of his ears are almost up to the top of his head i mean so there 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 are times when the uh when the artwork is not very good and of course not accurate in many cases. But, uh, you know, overall, I mean, especially after seeing, uh, you know, those, those, those comics we used to go through and stuff. Oh, my God. The, the they, artwork is so bad there. You know, th- th- this is like light years ahead of that. You mean the comic strips? The comic strips. The newspaper I, ones? I didn't say strips. No, you just I meant, said comics. I meant to say strips. Gotcha. Comic strips. Yep.
0: Yeah, some of those were bad. But, I mean, like always, Gold Key tends to, to depict Spock with Yoda ears.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. But I I was mainly talking about Malak. He's like this little emaciated dude with some giant like Vincent Price the fly-looking eyeballs exactly. on his face.
1: He's he's got like uh compound eyes. He's got right. very yeah. huge fly eyes. Just kind of weird. It is. Malak was successful in getting emotions out of Spock, but then he runs off and then has a very interesting one page long full page fight with himself over all the different emotions he's feeling and he finally overcomes it by the bottom of the page yeah that's so. actually
0: they do that a lot don't they where they they have like Spock I think last time you referred to him as doing a dance because <laughs> <laughs> it has him in like different poses and they're, they're all very similar how he's standing his facial expressions and arms are in different spots
1: yeah, this particular one has almost like a psychedelic kind of feel to it. I mean the background, so uh Spock's there what eight eight different versions of Spock on the same page uh expo- expressing different emotions and then finally at the end being upright and in control. But all around him is these yellow and red squirrely thing swirly things and stuff. It's I I kind of liked it. I kind of liked it.
0: Yeah, I like it too. Y- you notice that he doesn't have his logo on his chest though.
1: Ah, good point. Yes, true.
0: I didn't notice that until you just uh, made no me look at the look at that page a little harder.
1: Yeah, and now that I'm looking around, there are many pages where the crewmen do not have uh, their patches on.
0: Is that supposed to be because they're 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 away, away um, What are they called? Away jackets or whatever?
1: Well, they're shirts. No, even on the Enterprise, they don't always have them. Never mind. Yeah, and and sometimes on the planet they do have them. Oh, so I'm really? just kind of scanning through, and so so here's a here's a shot where Spock is looking at Malak, I think, for the first time. Yeah, I think when he first walks up to it, you can see he's got the uh, yellowish uh, badge on. Oh yeah, it sure does. But for most of the rest of it, he does not. Hmm. Very odd. Uh, wonder why they did that. I don't know. And also his uh his belt, it looks like his belt. I guess where he has his his phaser comes and goes. Yeah. So, one last thing.
0: Does Pandora ever show back up after they find her knocked out next to the room? Or is she just gone for the rest of the story?
1: Well, she's on the planet. Is she? Yeah. And her outfit keeps on changing colors. And general looks. I mean, towards the end, her you know normal short miniskirt kind of outfit. I mean, it's it's a spin on the traditional... Outfit that 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 the uh, the original Trek used to have, uh, but it's not quite the same. I mean, it, it's in in some scenes it looks pretty close. Collar looks right, but the colors wrong, and it keeps changing. And the kind of like skirt part on the bottom looks almost I don't know like what do they call them, ruffles? Yeah, you know, kind of pleated almost. And she's definitely got some kind of green leggings on, which is very odd. Yeah. I, I don't want to see leggings, I want to see I want to see female legs <laughs> in all their bare glory Well,
0: you know what's funny is that yeah, she's there, but I don't think she has a single speaking part except no, for except for at the very beginning I mean, her, her last her last comment in the whole whole story is when Kirk finds her and she says, Captain is it you? <laughs> I, I was, and then that's it <laughs> <laughs> and then she never speaks again. She goes to the planet. She has this adventure. She never docks.
1: She's cheesecake. She's just just eye candy. Anyways,
0: anything else on that
1: one? Uh, let me see. Um, I was a little put off when I was reading and saw Spock say when he saw the 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 energy spikes from the planet, "Activate force screen." I mean, really, Raise shields? Hello, activate force screen. I mean, since when do when do they say that? Uh, putting me off a little bit. Mm. Um, we already talked about the uniform. Yeah, another thing is, why was were Kirk and Spock and and the people that were in on a on a deal so secretive about transporting those uh, Vulcan emotions? Did, did they did they explain that? No, they didn't. I mean, even Bones didn't know. So the majority of the uh, of the crew did not know, even Bones. And so what's what's with the secrecy? Well, wasn't it because they were, and maybe I'm just
0: misremembering it, um, they were keeping it secret because the Vulcans didn't want people to know that they did that at one point? And so they were trying to secretly send them to the planet Beta 5?
1: Where they were going to put it in a shrine? Yeah. I don't remember them explaining that, but maybe that was the reason. So they, they came out and said that? They were embarrassed or something?
0: Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just reading into it. I'm kind of skimming it now, and I don't see that. But that is what I thought when I was reading right,
1: it. Right, right. And that may be the case, but... I anyway, don't know. I, 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 I obviously read too much into it. <laughs> well, maybe that's exactly right. But I, I didn't see that they, they explicitly said... Um... <sighs> yeah. That's all I have to say. I already – we've already made all my points.
0: All right. So that wraps up this episode of Star Trek comic book review. With Donovan and Ken. Thanks, everybody, for listening. So See you next just, time. Hey, just real quick. Don't 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 be in such a hurry, kid. <laughs> let's, let's move them out. Now, I'm just going to let you know that next week we're starting our Gary 7 series. So we're going to be doing issues number 49 and 50 of Star Trek um, DC Comics it's uh, Gary Seven, obviously. Uh, we'll be doing that for the next five weeks before we move on to our viewer's choice. So send us your ideas at star t comic book at gmail.com. Yes, please do. Now you can rush
1: them out the door there, Ken. Go ahead. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. second name book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.